Well, good morning again. If you're in Kidmo, you can head on out to Kidmo. I might have been guilty of a few of those. And I know many of you are guilty of much worse, as I am as well. So, anyways, just a fun way to start off this morning. And uh, I love Father's Day. I, I, I speak much with much more authority on Father's Day than I do on Mother's Day. Um, but <clears throat> I'm looking forward to sharing a few things with you. Some fun, some um, serious, but... Uh, you know, one of the things I love about Father's Day is, is dads don't always get a lot of appreciation. We get in trouble a lot. And one of the things that we love at Journey is a number of you men who are involved in our children's ministry because we believe wholeheartedly that some of those very things are just the things that enrich the lives of children. They need to get hit with a soccer ball right in the nose. That teaches them perseverance, right? They, they, that needs to happen. And, uh, but anyways, dads have a way of bringing in fun and they have a way of bringing, uh, just a lighthearted environment sometimes to the family. Um, in addition to many of the things that we've just come to love and respect their willingness to work and to provide, to protect and to love. And many of you are such wonderful examples for father's day. Um, what I truly love about dads and watching them with kids. And I remember, uh, the number of horror, you know, just horrified looks on Deidre's face with many of our children when they were young, um, that, you know, dads really have a way of adding to the adventure of a child. What is the fun of throwing a child up if they are still within hand's reach at the time that they reach their peak? There's no real fun or adventure in that. It's only when they're a good 10, 15 feet high that you have actually achieved the goal, much to the horror of moms. You know, it's wonderful to see dads whenever they take the kids out. It's, you know, oftentimes uh, moms are there to, for compassion and for love. Although I know some of you moms and you're there to sometimes terrify your children along with the dads. But when it comes, that was, that was a very wicked laugh right there. And let's all just take a moment to pray for Ethan and Aaron right now and for the things that must go on whenever we're not watching, because we know what goes on when we are. <laughs> but one of the things that dads do when they, what they bring to the family is that sense of adventure. Whenever it's time to teach the kids to ride a bike without training wheels, a lot of times mom is off to the side looking like this because they may hurt their knees, and yet dads know you're going to skin up your knees if you're going to learn how to do this, but you need to learn how to do this. Uh, for our kids, when it came time to, for swimming and it was time for them to swim without floats, it was time for them to be in the water without floats, you know that children, are they'll just grab onto you because they're certain this is their last moment on this earth. And so moms will just oftentimes in compassion and love and grace just hold them tight. No, mommy will never let anything happen to you. And dads will grab the child and throw them in the deep end and laugh and get a video of it to post before they jump in and save the child. So, you know, dads bring a lot of adventure into the, the uh, family. Um, and, you know, dads just bring a lot of fun. You know, <clears throat> I know with our kids, we went through tons of Cheerios. Anybody do that too? Had the bag? Or some of you actually went out and bought the bowl, the Cheerios bowl that said Cheerios on it. You were a total marketing sucker. And you bought that bowl because that's the only thing you can put Cheerios in. Like, what do we do now? They don't eat Cheerios. We can't use this bowl for anything else. It says Cheerios on it. But dads, fortunately, have discovered how to bring some fun into the family. And so have you seen the Cheerio stack challenge? <laughs> <laughs> 
So I've got a few pictures here. There's this Cheerio Stack Challenge invented by dads, carried out by dads all across our country. Some are pretty creative. That's pretty good right there. Milk and Cheerios. That's Fruit Loops. You know he ate those after he was done playing with them. And then we've discovered one dad that totally won the stack challenge. Nobody else need to compete. A whole box of Cheerios on their baby's head. Now, you know a mom didn't do that because moms in the room right now are going, you don't put a box on a sleeping child's head. That's just not what you do. So, but dads totally put a box on their sleeping child's head. You know, and as we, as we watch dads in the, on TV and in the media, dads often get a bad rap. You know, we're always the bumbling guys who can't get anything right. Uh, the guy that can't ever figure it out or it takes mom to come by and fix it where we know dad knows exactly what he's doing, right? So um, I wanted to give you some true inspirational Father's Day quotes this Father's Day. I want you to remember these, write these down if you want. First one, these are by real people, says, just once on Father's Day, I wish my kids would give me a number one dad mug instead of one with my actual ranking. That's what my kids would do. Dave Barry says, the message of Mother's Day is mothers are amazingly good at mothering. They deserve a special day, whereas the message of Father's Day is we're only doing this because we have Mother's Day. Now, be honest, guys. Do we not sometimes feel like that's what Father's Day is? Yes. We got to give them something. Same guy said, I enjoy Father's Day. It's a time when I pause to reflect on the joy that has come into my life thanks to my two wonderful children whose names escape me. <laughs> oh, true story. Albert Brooks said, Tomorrow is Father's Day. My lovely kid said, Do you need something like mom does or are you okay? There's a lot of truth in these inspirational true statements. Mike Dugan says, I have mixed emotions when I receive my Father's Day gifts. I'm glad my children remember me. I'm disappointed they think I dress like that. <laughs> you know, that's the truth too, isn't it? Some of, the, some of the gifts. Now, my kids got me mostly food, so they know me pretty well. But it's wonderful at, at, at Father's Day to not just think about dads, but honestly, as we're looking at our current age, to also think about what is the challenge of being a dad. Uh, a lot of times when we read blogs or memes on Facebook or, you know, what, people are writing about what should a dad be or someone writes an inspirational story about their dad who was, you know, Paul and Little House on the Prairie that none of us can measure up to. It reminds me when I think through scripture, I was thinking about what are we going to talk about today? We're, we're in the middle of a series, but I don't want to do an elephant in the room for Father's Day. And what do we talk about? I started thinking about some of the great dads in scripture and The problem with doing a sermon on great dads in Scripture, most every dad in Scripture is totally screwed up. Have you have you really looked back through the stories to see? You know, one of the more real popular ones is to talk about Adam because you know Adam he had a heavenly father but didn't have his own dad, so he was learning, and it's great story for guys who didn't have a great relationship with their own dad, and yet their their kids didn't turn out all that great. One of them killed the other, if you'll remember. You know, we look at stories like Abraham and we think Abraham was such a mighty man of faith and did some incredible things. But how many of you have taken your child and put them on a sacrificial altar ready to cut them with a knife? You know, how many of you have done that? Not too many. Option Option is not available. 
Option is not available, and then we have a disclaimer at the end of this that, you know, you can't do any of the things that we say in here today. We look at David. David was a man after God's own heart, and yet David had an affair. I mean, we look at some of the men throughout Scripture that are really held out as great men of faith, and we go, man, these guys were really screwed up, which brings hope to some of us men in the room, right? All of us in the room. As we look through the Scriptures, I I do want to have some fun with you this morning, but I do want to share what I believe is important for dads to hear and what's important for us right now in the way that we live our lives. I want to talk to you about being a healthy dad. And I don't have a formula for which if you do these things, you will be a healthy dad, but I want to give you a challenge that I believe will move you in that direction. I want you to recognize that healthy dads recognize their importance is given by God and not by the culture. So when we watch sitcoms that make fun of dads, your relevance and your value and what you bring to the family are not determined by those who make light of it, but they're determined by the one who puts you there to begin with. And so as we take this role, we recognize there's a lot of fun to be had. I I like to see how many eye rolls I can rack up from my kids at certain times. Sometimes it's not appropriate. But there are certain times I like to make them roll their eyes, especially when their friends are over. That's High time for me to be at my worst. But there's also a serious role to play. There's a place where we occupy a position in the lives of children that no one else can truly occupy like we can. We live in a time and we live in an age when things are becoming very difficult to navigate. It's not like it's new. It's just that they're changing. It's been like this forever, but It's changing, and where it seems so easy and normal how it is to raise a child today, what we're seeing is if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, it's becoming more difficult. Because what we had 30, 40, 50 years ago was a semblance, I won't say it was a a nation that followed Jesus, but a semblance where at least legislatively Christian values were upheld, and today Christian values are kind of mocked, right? Right? And so when we have young families that come up and hold their children up and we dedicate them, we know that they have a large challenge in front of them. But we also know that there's only one perfect man, and I'm not it, and neither are you. But yet we follow that man. And we have an opportunity to demonstrate what does it look like to truly follow him. This week has been a really terrible week um, in the life of, of Orlando, if you've been watching if you've been paying attention, just in the last few days, they've been in the news for some terrible things. Uh, one of the voice competitors was killed at a concert in Orlando. They had the terrible shooting at the Pulse in Orlando. And then a child was dragged out by an alligator in Orlando, all within the span of a week. And what we saw in that time were lots of calls for love and grace and compassion, which were exactly what is necessary in those moments. But we also saw a lot of Christians be real jerks, say some really horrible things, especially about the shooting at the Pulse. Praise God they're gone. We're glad they're dead. People who are saying, I follow Jesus. I know the one who has given his life for me and he's given his life for you. The one who would cross heaven and earth in order for you to have a relationship with God, then celebrate such terrible carnage. Now, the world is tricky. Culture, it's hard to pin down. But what we know is that God has called us to be healthy men in a time when people are living very destructive lives. That's one of the reasons we did the 
Elephant in the Room series. Let's get on the same page of what Scripture says about big issues that are quite honestly dividing not just a nation, but they're dividing the church. Jesus said he would know us by our love for one another. And he would certainly, that would include the love for our children. As we go through this, I, <clears throat> I want to share with you a, a story from Ezekiel. We're going to go in the Old Testament today. But I want to start with Luke chapter 4, something I referenced in a blog this week. It says, this, was, this is Jesus speaking about himself. It said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. This heart of compassion for those who are hurting is honestly the heart of a father. We see it in through God the Father, not because God is what we're all supposed to be as dads, because that would be a really bad standard to try to meet. But because we can understand that protection and that love of a caring father, some of us, and some of us still, that definition is elusive because your relationship with your dad wasn't all that great. And whether you're in this room today wishing that you had more kids or regretting some decisions that you made in the past, whether you're here with wonderful example as a, as a father for, for, for you or that you believe you're a wonderful example for your children, for all of us, I want to call us to a place where men have over and over been called in Scripture to be bastions of character and integrity, of demonstrating what it looks like to be righteous and to do what is right for others. That's the challenge that I want to give you. And I want to give you the story from Ezekiel and how God works amongst the difficult and difficult times when he was talking. And we're going to be in Ezekiel chapter 22. This is specifically about the nation of Judah at a time when they had turned completely away from God. If you're a person in the room and you struggle in your faith and you struggle in your relationship with God because some days you feel like you do it well and some days you don't feel like you do that well, well, Congratulations, you're living the Old Testament. That's the way believers have been from the very beginning to now. Some days we just nail it and some days, you know, we just, we need, we need a do-over. As we look through the Old Testament, one of the ways that God worked through people, because people have always been broken people. We've been broken from the very beginning in the garden when they first ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They've struggled to maintain faithfulness to God and they've struggled to do what was right in the eyes of God, instead opting for what was right in their own eyes, which is the consequences from eating of that fruit. And in those times, God continually would bless them and work in their lives and be there for them. And then they would kind of get their fill and turn away from God to do what was right in their own eyes. And then God would bring them back. And the problem was, is blessing never brought somebody back. Blessing always led to somebody walking away. Because it was good and things felt comfortable and we let our guard down. And then that sin begins to come back up in us. Let me do what's right in my eyes. And in this time in Judah, what we're going to read about is a time when literally nobody was concerned with what God really thought and what was really important to God. And so God is announcing judgment, but then he does something very important. He demonstrates, and this isn't the only place he does it, he demonstrates that if we will stand for him, that he will be there with us. Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 23, again, a message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, give the people of Israel this message. In the day of my indignation... You will be like a polluted land, a land without rain. Your princes, 
plot conspiracies just as lions stalk their prey. They devour innocent people, seizing treasures and exhorting wealth. They make many widows in their land. Now, what we see here is the beginning of several pieces where God sends a message through Ezekiel about their, that specific group of people. And the first one we come to are government officials. And literally, God judged government leaders for hurting others to promote themselves. I'm so glad that that doesn't happen anymore today. Right? Can you see the sarcasm dripping? He judged government leaders that were hurting others to promote themselves. It goes on in verse 26. It says, your priests have violated my instructions and defiled my holy things. They make no distinction between what is holy and what is not. And they do not teach my people the difference between what is ceremonially clean and unclean. They disregard my Sabbath day so that I am dishonored among them. And his next phrase is to the group of holy people that were supposed to know the truth. They were supposed to know what it looks like to walk with God. They were supposed to know what it looks like to follow his teachings. They were supposed to not only know it, but they were held responsible to teach it to others as well. And yet, God judged priests because they failed to demonstrate and lead others to holiness. Before we go on to the next group of people, I don't think this is just a passage for, for ministry leaders. This is something we struggle with. This is what we struggle with in the church. It's something that we struggle with, that many pastors struggle with. It's the struggle to say, not my will, but yours be done. Not my way, but yours to be followed. Not my steps, but your steps for me to walk in. You know, one of the things that I see in so many of you men and on Father's Day is a willingness to sacrifice for your families. A willingness to do what is best for them, even if that means that you have to sacrifice for yourself. Now, it's not hard to pick out the guy that doesn't live that way, that within his family, he makes sure his needs are taken care of first. You can always see those guys and point them out in a crowd because they really could care less what's going on with their family. They don't take care of their needs as long as they've got their thing that they want to have and they're spending their time on the things that they want to spend and nobody bothers them so that they can have the life that they want real easy to find those and because they stick out like a sore thumb but what's not so easy to find are the dads that are willing to draw a, a line in the sand and say i will do what is best for others the reason we don't see that is because when you often do what is best for others it's often not with big lights all around you shining down on you for this wonderful thing you've done for many people it actually feels like you're a failure because look he can't even do what he wants to do. Some of your friends may point that out and say, what do you mean you got to spend all that time with them? What do you mean you got to take your kids and do that? What do you mean you got to do this for your wife? Why don't, why don't you be the man of the house? And the truth is, is that the men who are doing that are not the man of the house. Those who are out trying to find their path to do what they want to make sure they are fulfilled no matter what happens to anybody else, that is not what it looks like to be a man. But instead, often, it looks like spending time when you could be doing something else. It means going to work when you really want to take the day off. 
It means taking care of your family when really you just want to go off and play and do your thing. It means recognizing that you've got to take care of paying for groceries or you've got to take care of school projects rather than going and investing in your favorite hobby. And the truth is you'll never be celebrated by the world for doing that because the world's message is singular. Take care of yourself. And the world will continue to hold up those examples as examples because what the world ultimately wants is for every person to be focused on themselves. But the gospel says we are focused on others. See, being a dad often means sacrificing at times when you don't necessarily want to. It means determining with an ironclad certainty what is the right thing to do. You know, we do joke in my family about Pa and Little House on the Prairie. It was Deidre's favorite show when she was growing up, and we've tried to pass that along to our kids, and they watch it, you know, in the same nostalgia that we had to watch our parents' shows. Like, that's cute, but that's really not a good show. (laughs) And I often would joke about Pa. We never... You know, my favorite thing to do, again, I bring fun and joy into my family, even when they don't recognize it as such. (laughs) We would watch Pa, and he would be doing something that Pa would always do, the right thing. He always did the right thing. Pa never did the wrong thing. You know, Pa was the one that he was always hurt, and his back was broke, and he was lugging these 500-pound bags of stuff up onto the wherever it needed to go, and everyone else just watched. Paul was the one that had all the best friends that they would come along and they would come and talk with him and, and help him. And they would go out and, you know, Mr. Edwards, everybody needs a Mr. Edwards in their life. And so I would joke and Paul would be in another one of his superhuman Paul things that only he could do that I'll never be. And this is where I would insert my comments. This is where Paul kills them all. You know, that's the kind of stuff I do when I watch Little House on the Prairie. This is when Paul takes the food from the little girl and runs away, you know. I try to just humanize Paul a little bit. That's all I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to humanize him. I'm trying to bring him down to my level. But as we look to those examples, while that's not something we necessarily celebrate, dads are able to draw a line in the sand with an ironclad certainty of what is the right thing to do or not. You know, there are many things in life that the right thing to do is a painful thing to do. There are many things in life that the right thing to do is not the profitable thing to do. There are places that the right thing in life is not the thing that feels good to do. But in this time, at a place where priests should have had an ironclad certainty on what was right and leading others to that same place, even they were focused on taking care of themselves rather than to doing what was right in the eyes of God. Verse 27 continues, it says, your leaders, he's just kind of breaking it down from the government officials to the priests to the leaders and then to the common people. It says, your leaders are like wolves who tear apart their victims. They actually destroy people's lives for money. And your prophets cover up for them by announcing false visions and making lying predictions. They say, my message is from the sovereign Lord. And when the Lord hasn't spoken a single word to them, even common people oppress the poor, rob the needy, and deprive foreigners of justice. And as we read that, what we find is that God judged the rest 
because they didn't stand for the things of God. Remember Luke 4? I have come for the captive. I have come for the pressed. I have come for those who are imprisoned. I have come to set people free. And yet what we find in this time, God's chosen people. Now keep in mind, God has done some incredible, miraculous things in their lives. And yet they have turned away from him with their eyes being focused on themselves. And this is what he says to Ezekiel about this time and this place. He says, I looked for someone who might rebuild the wall of righteousness that guards the land. I searched for someone to stand in the gap in the wall so I wouldn't have to destroy the land. But I found no one. So now I will pour out my fury on them, consuming them with the fire of my anger. I will heap on their heads the full penalty for all of their sins. I, the sovereign Lord, have spoken. Now this story is not unique in the sense that what God is literally saying here is in the midst of all of this evil, of all of these things that I hate, I'm just looking for one person, one person to stand there. And follow my words and do what is truly right. I'm looking for one person who will stand for all of the rest. And I will spare them. It's not the first time this has happened. Because he said the very same thing about Sodom. If I can find ten people, I won't destroy this land. And he never found them. And so he destroyed that city. That's the reason that city was destroyed. Not because of all the terrible things that happened there, but because there was no one to stand for what was true. It was dads standing for what is true is sometimes one of the most difficult things we will do in life. It means that you do have to sacrifice and it means that you do take on a mantle of leadership, not just a role as a dad. There are lots of things I do as a dad. I you know, take care of the kids and I give them jobs to do so they'll learn how to work and, you know, Deidre and I together provide for the family so that they have a place to sleep and something to eat. There are lots of things that I do just in my role as dad. Tell them to go get my remote and fix me something to drink. (laughs) There are lots of things. But there's a difference in the dad who chooses to be a leader. Now, just as we had these young children up here before, here's what is true. You will never be able to make your kids into anything that you want them to be. As much as we try and as much as we think that if I just go with this path, see, you do that. I did that when I was growing up. I thought my parents don't have a clue how to parent. So whenever I become a parent, I'm going to do everything right. And then I grew up and realized I'm an idiot. You know, that's how it works. You know, we often think that we can make our kids be something. We think that we can turn them into great Christians or we can make them great scholars or we can make them love somebody else or we can just guide them in such a way that they find the perfect spouse. We can just we can ensure that our kids have a good life. But it takes a more experienced parent to know that you cannot ever do that. We can lead our children to the truth, but we cannot force them to accept it. We can help our kids make good decisions, but that doesn't mean that we can overcome the emotional decisions that they will make instead. 
Our kids are going to make their own choices. You cannot determine and make sure that they are going to follow the path that you think is best for them. Quite honestly, sometimes the path that God has for them is different from the path you would have for them. A couple of weeks ago, I was uh, having coffee with another ministry leader in town. And interestingly enough, his dad and my dad were business partners their entire adult careers. Uh, Both were in the dental field. Both were highly successful. Both are now retired with very comfortable retirements. And I sat down with him and I said, do you ever regret not becoming a dentist? (laughs) Interesting. They were partners their entire life. He's a business owner and a ministry leader here in town in Chattanooga. I'm a business owner and a ministry leader here in Chattanooga. Both of our dads highly successful in the dental field. So do you ever do you ever wish we had followed their path? And it's interesting, both of us knew very early on that was never anything we ever wanted to do. And though my dad has never said this, I've always wondered, did he wish I had followed in his footsteps to pass on his business to me? Sometimes I've wondered, why didn't you do that, Mark? That would have been you would have been set. Why didn't you do that? There are times that God's path for your children is not the same path that you would have. And consequently, dad never, whether he ever felt, I'll never know. I'm never going to ask him. He never made me feel that way. He let me go down the path that God was taking me. That's another part of being a dad is recognizing that your children are not going to be many yous. In some ways they are. And Deidre and I sometimes to some very, with some, you know, heightened volume, accuse each other of becoming our parents. But truly, our kids will not become us. Sometimes we raise them so they will become us, but what we need to raise them to become is something so much more than us. We need to give them an example that doesn't disappoint like we do. Instead, we need to give them an example of what does it look like to stand in the gap when no one else is. See, the problem with standing in the gap when no one else is, is it's easy when you have a squad of cheerleaders helping you to to go for it. It's easy when you have people saying, that is a good thing you're doing. Keep it up. That's the way you should be living your life. That is going to make a difference. Keep it up. You're doing a wonderful, great thing. But when you stand in the gap, there's nothing for you but criticism. Because that's not the way the world works. And the world criticizes everything that does not deify them. God is asking, will you be one to stand in the gap? And I would ask you, dads, would you be one to stand in the gap? You can't make your kids be something that they're not. You can't determine that they're going to be good kids that never mess up because that's impossible. You cannot come to the place where you are a good enough dad that all of a sudden your kids are going to just do all the best things and have the most wonderful life possible. They are going to make decisions on what that looks like, but you can give an example. So how do you stand in the gap? I'll tell you, I didn't author this, but I thought it was so good. I wanted to share it with you. This is something that Rick Warren said. He said there are four ways. That was three. That's four. Four ways you can stand in the gap. Number one is know who you are. Know who you are. I can't tell you how many times I talk to men and women who don't know who they are. They're still trying to figure out 
who they are. They're trying to figure out, you know, what kind of person am I supposed to be? Am I still trying to be the high school jock? Am I still trying to be the straight-A student? Am I still trying to be the most successful person in my class? Am I still trying to trump my mom and my dad? Am I still, what am I, who am I? And the truth is that many of us will go around our entire lives trying to answer that question and we'll jump from one hobby to the next, one job to the next, one way of seeing the world to the next because we've never come to the decision of knowing who you are, which is often answered by question number two. Know whose you are. See, there are many things about my life I'm uncertain about. There are many things that I'm not certain exactly how this is all supposed to work out or what I'm supposed to do or maybe I should have been a dentist rather than doing what I'm doing. But what I am certain about is knowing whose I am and that changes the whole playing field. You see, God is not someone who just spoke to these people long times ago who gave a path or a direction for them, and that's the way everybody's life is supposed to go. Instead, God is living and active, speaking to you today. But are we those who have ears to hear? If you know whose you are, you have ears to hear because you know you no longer belong to yourself. And I will be honest, that is the most difficult place in life to, be, to, to get to, and I would not say that I am there yet. I know whose I am, Yet I I will not say I've yet come to the end of myself. Myself is still a very powerful voice in my head that sometimes drowns out the voice of God. But I will tell you that there have been some really hard things in life that have pushed me to come to the end of myself. And I am confident that God will continue to lead me that either I'll be with him in heaven or he will get me to that place where I will truly become or come to the end of myself. And I can truly just be his. You've got to know whose you are. You see, if you are belonging to yourself, if you're the king of your own castle, if you're the leader or the ruler of your own domain, then what goes in your mind is what you think is best. And it doesn't take long for us to really take a good critical look at our lives to recognize, sometimes I don't really know best. I really shouldn't have done that. I really wish I had done this differently. Someone who has no regrets has never critically looked at their life. Now, if we let those regrets control us, then we're back to whose life is this? It's my life. It's all about my decisions, the way I want to live, what I want to do, where I want to go. I get all the glory. I get all the blame. But instead, if you know whose you are, if you know that you belong to a risen Savior, if you know that you have given your life to deny ourselves and to follow Him, then instead of having a playbook that just determines every action we make, it's more akin to looking downfield and seeing where the measuring stick is and just continue to working your way there by knowing whose you are. The third question, and this is another one that men often struggle with, is to know what you are here for. Now, if I were to ask you and all all the people in this room, what are you here for? We would probably get some very similar answers, but we would also probably get some very different answers. But I would ask you this, do you know what you are here for? 
Why do you live? Why do you draw breath? Why has God put you in this place? Is it so that you can have a job that you love? Is it so you can live the life better than anyone you know? Is it so you can prove you're a better parent than your parents? Is it to prove that you're smarter than somebody else? What does it look like to know what you are here for? Ultimately, God has said, you are here to bring glory to him and to lead others to the amazing, miraculous knowledge of Jesus Christ as our Savior. That's what we're here for. Now, that's not what you were here for before. Before, it was all about getting out of life the most you can get. And I will tell you, that is a pursuit that will lead you down the path of sadness and destruction. You know, there are really a couple of ways to truly be fulfilled in life. The first one is to get everything you can, and the second is to give everything away. When we spend our lives getting everything we can, here's the problem. There's always something else. And the need is never satisfied. But when we're willing to give it away, it's amazing. It's not that we all of a sudden, God just gives us everything. And quite honestly, that's some people's theology. God, if I give this tithe check of $200, I expect a $2,000 check in the mail when I get home. I mean, I'm being faithful. Bless me. The way a lot of people think. But that's not the way it works. You see, when you give yourself away, your thought of what you need begins to decrease. And it's not that all of a sudden you have more than everybody else. You just realize, I just, I don't need anymore. Have you ever had that time where you've just prayed, God, just make me not want this. Make me not want this. Let me tell you, one of the great ways to do that is to know what you are here for. Why did God put you here on this planet? Is it about us, ourselves? Or is there a greater purpose out there? Man, you have such a greater purpose than that. The fourth one, fourth question that he mentions is this. Know where you are going. At the end of the day, this is all going to go away. And all the stuff we've accumulated, it's not coming with us. Do we know where we're going? Do we have that idea? Do you remember when we brought the rope out here and we talked about eternity being this or our lives here being this one little spot and the rest of eternity is this big old long unending rope. Everything that we're working for being in that small little spot, yet what God is wanting to prepare us for is so much more. Do you know where you're going? Do we have the end goal in mind? Do we know that for our kids, more than them having a good paying job, I want them to have a good relationship with Jesus. Let me tell you, I will never preach enough sermons to them to get them to that point. What I hope to do is model it so that they will want it themselves. Do you know where you're going? Do you know what you're here for? Men, you are not perfect. You are not always going to do the best thing possible. You are going to make mistakes. Sometimes we're going to laugh at you and sometimes we're going to judge you. But at the end of the day, will you stay focused on modeling what is most important, your most important role? Deuteronomy 31.6 says this, So be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not panic before them. For the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. Because dads, you're not in this on your own. You don't have to do this all alone. 
This is one of the things that I, I love about my, my uh, guy friends who enjoy getting together. Uh, my, my friends who are other men, I, I value them. I value my friends who are women as well. But there's something about men getting together that we can truly talk honestly to each other. We can share our struggles with each other. We can encourage each other. And there are so many times that we can talk and know exactly what we're saying, they're saying before they finish it because we've been there. It's so important for men to come together to know that they're not doing it on their own because sometimes you feel like you do because sometimes you alienate yourself. I'm thankful for the men who have decided that it's valuable. We have men this morning on Father's Day, just as we have women on Mother's Day, serving in our kids' ministry right now. I'm so thankful for those men, and I'm so thankful when those men mess up because they show our kids what it's like to be a man, and that's not perfection. It's not so much that we did it perfectly. It's what we did after we mess up. I'm so thankful they go in and goof off with the kids. I'm so thankful they come in and bring their sense of humor. And all the moms roll their eyes when they walk by. I love it. I love it when they say and they show their families. You know, I could just sit here and watch the game or do whatever I want. But it's important for me to go help others and invest in others. I love men who do that. They inspire me and they inspire my children. So I want to encourage you that your number one goal, if you're uncertain of your purpose or why you're here, I can't answer the question for whose are you. Only you can answer that. But I can tell you if you're a follower of Jesus, I can answer the why are you here. And it is simply this. Your number one goal as a dad is to teach and model Jesus. Not to give your kids more than you had it growing up. Not to be the biggest alpha male on the block. Not to be able to bench press more than any of your friends' dads can. Your number one goal is not to know every sports statistic that's ever been, although I know a lot of you know a lot of them. Your number one goal is to follow and model, teach Jesus. All those other things are wonderful things, but keep the main thing the main thing, dads. Along the way, we're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to make a lot of mistakes. We're going to kick a lot of balls into our children's faces and then laugh after and then pick them up and wipe off their tears and then laugh a little more. I mean, I'm being honest. We're going to do that. We're going to sometimes teach our kids things that our wives wish we didn't, and we're going to love every minute of it. Sometimes we're going to make poor choices. Along the way, let us teach those around us what it looks like to know and follow Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, God, I thank you for the great examples, not only in my life, but the great examples in this room that I can walk through this life with. I thank you for those who have demonstrated what it means to passionately know and follow you. Thank you for the encouragement and the wisdom for many of our older men in the room that have been there and done that. The ability to, to share wisdom with such few words. I thank you for the opportunity to be in partnership with you as a dad and as a follower. So that you will not leave me to be alone. I don't have to do this all by myself and no one else in this room does either. Father, I thank you for the ways that men model 
your image, your character, your integrity, your joy, and your humor. Father, I thank you that you have given us so many wonderful examples in this place. Let us, on our hearts, forever know that our number one purpose and goal in this life is to follow you and to model what that looks like for those coming behind us. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.